Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of Circuit 42. Um, this is your host, Ian, and I am here with professional wizard slash producer slash PR agent slash everything, uh, Michael Perez. Um, hey. Hey. How have you been, Michael? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, man. Like, it's been a while. It has been a brief two years. Yeah. I blame COVID. Absolutely. So, you have a new project coming up. For those who don't know, um, you for like the first first time I found out about your work was through Never Sleep Again, the uh, Nightmare Home Street documentary. Uh, you've done oh. Crystal Lake Memories, Scream Inside Story, I'm Nancy, More Brains, and now we're looking at your newest uh, your newest project, RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop. Yes, a uh, long time in the making, should I say. Yeah, no. Um, recently, they they you guys finally were able to confirm um, Peter Weller. Yeah, after uh, four long years of trying, uh, Peter decided to sit down with us and uh, do an interview for it. So I, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I guess you could say we were really holding out for that. Uh, I mean, because he is RoboCop at least in the first two. And, uh, I mean, that's a documentary about him. So we, we really needed him and it finally all worked out and he is now officially part of Robodoc. So we, we got everybody cast and crew who is living and breathing. That is so cool. Um, so I know you, I know you've worked with, um, I know you've worked and you've wrapped uh, certain actors, certain actors from RoboCop, especially Ray, especially uh, Ray Wise and a lot of people from Twin Peaks. Yes. And the first time I the first time I met you was literally just a CD exchange, and you were wearing a Never Sleep Again shirt. <laughs> yeah. Which is the best networking ever, seriously. Um, so, how did this happen, man? How did you get started doing this? What was the thing that made you want to do this? What gave you kind of bit you and made you realize you could? Well, what happened was, um, it's all accidental. So growing up in Michigan, you know, I was just a kid who was wanted to do anything that to get out of Michigan. So I worked hard at school. Um, when I got my job, I saved money just so I could just escape when I, when I was able to. And then I went to college in Phoenix at ASU and, um, I was doing, um, and growing up, I I tend to watch a lot of horror films, and Elm Street movies were a big part of that. And uh, I was doing PR for a radio station um, as part of an internship. And coming up for the month of August, they wanted um, horror celebrities to interview one a week. And I was like, okay, well, I can, you know, I was booking guests for that show, and. So I reached out to uh, Tuesday night from Elm Street 4. I reached out to Kelly Jo Minter from Elm Street 5, Heather Langenkamp from the 1st, 3rd, and 7th Elm Street, and I can't remember – oh, Miko Hughes from New Nightmare. So they were all Elm Street people, and Tuesday and I really hit it off. Like, we were – we just became instant best friends – um, I loved her music first and foremost. Her music was everything to me. That's what I went to school for. I'm a singer. Yeah, music's everything to me. So she knew after we hit it off and she was like, well, you should come out here, move out to L.A. and I'll, you know, hire you to be my publicist. 
so that way you have a job when you come out here and you can live. And I was like, great. So I packed up after I graduated from college and went straight to L.A. And uh, she uh, I started I, I she was one of my clients. Kelly Jo Minter became a client and Heather Langenkamp became a client. And Heather's manager at the time, Tommy Hudson, who wrote and produced Never Sleep Again, called me and inter- and he inter- he what was the word I can't find the word that I'm looking for he introduced me to the world of horror conventions I had no idea what it was he's like well since you're friends with Tuesday and Kelly Joe you should book them at this thing not knowing what it was they didn't know what it was and we did it and it was amazing like it was awesome to see like the fan like the 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 following the fans have for this I mean, they love these movies. But anyway, so after I started doing, you know, the convention scene and Comic-Cons and stuff like that with them, Tommy called me and said, you know, this, you know, is all coming together. And he asked me to be a part of it for Never Sleep Again. And he's like, since you rep some of the Elm Street actors, why don't you have them come in and interview? So it kind of just came in like that. And then... I, I booked people for their interviews and I did publicity for it and never sleep again turned out to be something bigger than anybody ever expected. Um, and that's just how it happened. And we got such great reviews from never sleep again. It literally went on for us to do scream inside story right after that. I remember like for me, the first thing that other than the first thing that really struck me, uh, was artwork was the promotional artwork? Yeah. Because I I'm looking at this and I'm like I've seen so many documentary covers where they basically just slap shit together and normally they're an hour and a half and they come off more like a more like a, a promo piece than an actual documentary. Right. And for your work, your stuff tends to be around three hours, like three hours long, and you really get into the nitty gritty and seeing things like the introdu- introductory video done by. Introduction to the Creators of Robot Chicken and the artwork. I'd love to find out who actually did the artwork. I've always wondered about that. I don't remember at the moment. I'll have to get back to you on that. Because <laughs> that it looks so cool. It's been so long, I don't even remember. Um, yeah, you know, the thing is, is like we, you know, we like to call our documentaries definitive. And they can't be definitive if they're not in-depth. I mean, we did not want to do this thing where we talked about part one for 10 minutes and then it was over. Um, there's more story there. And now, now to say at the, be- at the beginning, it probably could have ended up like that. Um, but it kind of blew up into something that we didn't expect. I mean, so many people were so willing to interview about Elm street and it just kind of blew up into a, a big thing. And, I mean, and we're very thankful for that. But yeah, so we, I mean, we have to we have to go like the, everything from the artwork to, you know, the trailers, everything. I mean, we as fans ourselves, we kind of know what fans want to see. And that's kind of how we do these things. Yeah. If I, by the way, I was able to uh, I think it's actually uh, Matthew Joseph Peake. I think he was actually the artist. Yeah, I, yes, you're you're correct. It was, yeah. yes, it was Matthew, yeah. And, like, if anyone who knows him, of course, knows his work from Nightmare on Elm Street, knows his work from Mondo, and just yes. so much cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
yeah, with that, you know, um, like looking at looking at the process of this, looking at the history of everything that you've been able to help produce with yourself, others. Um, let's talk about Robodoc. Let's talk about the creation of Robocop because um, this, while it is definitely definitely an eighties cult, pretty much an eighties cult movie, more so than a cult movie. This is a iconic movie. It does step away from your other work because most of your stuff is definitely in the horror area. And yeah. while this has horrific subjects, it's more definitely more of like a sci-fi satire. Well, again, uh, Robodoc um, happened. Um, my producing partners, uh, Gary Smart, uh, Christopher Griffiths, Eastwood Allen, Adam Evans, um, they're my UK boys. They all live, live over in the UK. And they kind of brought it to me. And I had worked with Gary before. He worked with me on the More Brains documentary, and he was very involved with The Return of the Living Dead, as was I. So he and I had known each other for quite a while. Um, and he reached out to me and he said, this is what we're thinking. And, and we're coming and they're going to, they were going to fly over that summer. And I said, great. I, you know, I'm a fan of Robocop. I thought it was a great movie. Uh, I love the first three. And um, I said, let's do it. So I, I hopped on board as a producer and, we uh once they came out man like it was it, it was amazing like just as a being a fan and getting to hear the stories is something but the way that i most of the stuff i do is horror yes um and there's a reason for that horror has cults followings and comedies and dramas don't tend to have that. So I can't do a documentary on pretty woman or Titanic and expect it to do well. Uh, Exactly. Or, you know, something like that would be something that would air on like E or VH one or something like that as a special. Um, It wouldn't, we would never be able to do, you know, Blu-ray discs or anything of that. So, we do stick to horror for the most part, but RoboCop is, I mean, it is sci-fi, but I mean, it's, it's quite gruesome. Uh, and, uh, and it has that following and it was something that I grew up watching. So to be a part of that world was something that I wanted to do. So that's why I signed on for it. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally get that. Cause I, 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 I don't know about you, I watched it when I was three years old. I realize in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have seen it at three, but no. it was also the eighties and everything was either rated G or rated R. Correct. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure there are only five movies that were actually PG 13. Yeah. Very few. Like it, it, it was, it was literally black and white back then. Like it, it was, it was either okay or not okay to watch. Yeah. And I think at the same time, you had young parents in the eighties are like, we still want to go see RoboCop prior. Come on. You won't understand um, well, I mean, the way they advertised it to people, it made it seem like it was a superhero film and it was marketed to children. I mean, look at the toys and the costumes. I mean, it was marketed a lot like Elm Street was. If you think about it, Elm Street was as well. Maybe not so much with the, the actual movie itself, but they did release a lot of things that was targeted towards children. So... um yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. 
it's it's hard not to see these things when you're a kid because the way that it's marketed to us, like it makes parents think, oh, we can take our kids to go see this. This is good because obviously they're not showing people blowing holes in people's heads and stomachs on the trailer or on television. So you have no idea what you're about to see. It was kind of like how, um, kind of like how it was all, like a movie like Mac and Me could exist, where it's like, hey kids, you know what helps the aliens? Coca Cola and cholesterol. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And Paul Rudd. <laughs> yes, gotta love Paul. Yeah, that's still the the greatest running thing. It's like I feel like every I feel like Disney dreads having Paul Rudd on doing any interviews with Conan. It's like he's not going to show a clip. It's, it's never going to happen. It's just going to be that kid from Mac and Me just going off the water and that fucked up looking alien. Yeah, you know, I actually saw an interview with Paul not too long ago. Um, it was on that show, that internet show called Hot Ones. I haven't seen it. Okay, it's 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 brilliant. It's an internet show where it's all on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube, and they go. A celebrity's on there, and the host, they sit and eat chicken wings, and they have 10 chick- chicken oh, wings. Oh, I do know this and, one. Yeah, and each level is, like, hotter and hotter and spicier and spicier, and they're, and they're asking these people these questions in the midst of, like, this mind-blowing heat thing that they're experiencing, and, like, they, they can't even concentrate. But Paul was such a trooper, was so fantastic, and he actually talked about a lot of stuff that he had done when he was younger. Like, uh, he did that commercial... Um, I think was it for Nintendo? I think. Yeah, the Super Nintendo commercial. Yeah, his, he did that. His big, big hair. Absolutely, he talked about that. So you know, I think he's a great sport when it comes to uh, talking about things from his past, for sure. He's definitely a grateful person. Be honest, you want to talk to him about Halloween Six? I love Halloween Six. Halloween Six is my favorite of the franchise. It's not my favorite, but the producers cut is definitely a huge improvement. Yeah, you know, I, I I enjoy the producer's cut as well, but I kind of feel like I'm watching a completely different movie when I watch that. Oh no, that's why I like it. Yeah, I love the theatrical version. So I, I'm I it's the first Halloween six was the first well, I can't say it was the first Hall no, the first Halloween movie I saw in theaters was H two O, but um I really love Halloween six. I think there's a good rock and roll, like edgy vibe to it. I love it. I know. I was I was all bad for Daniel Harris. So like the fact that she didn't even get asked to be in the movie. Well, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> See, I haven't heard this. Tell, tell us the story. Um. So if you actually watch the producer's cut, she's in it. I have not seen it in so long. I feel like a dummy. She's in it. Um. Not speaking roles. She's practically an extra. Um. But. The thing was, is Danielle Harris was not old enough to play that part. So it wasn't like they didn't want her. They just needed someone who was aged. Oh, um, and also because of what was going to happen in the movie, probably, too. Correct. Like, she was still very young. Look- I mean, she was a teenager, don't get me wrong. But it would have looked really bad. Yeah. So th- th- that's the reasons why I think that was... Cut, but she it's not like they told her we're not having you because of this this that and the other reason like they didn't want her it's not that it's just that's what needed to happen so and i think jc brandy who is a client of mine and is a friend of mine i think she's lovely she's super talented that's so cool 
I think she... Now I feel embarrassed. No, don't, don't. No, not at all. So, I mean, because you know what? She hears a good share of it, too. A lot of people are like, oh, but you're not Danielle Harris. Well, you no, know, she's not. She's J.C. Brandy. And she did what, say, Tuesday Night had to do in Elm Street 4. She had to take over an iconic character role. And sometimes you have a whole bunch of people that love it, and then you have a bunch of people who will say the opposite. So... But yeah, no, Danielle, I mean, Danielle's wonderful and she's very sweet, but um, it wasn't because they didn't want her. It's just that's the way that it had to be. See, and you know, the, the problem is like, like you and I, you, uh, you definitely and myself to a degree, we kind of have enough of that behind the scenes knowledge at this point to be like, yeah, sometimes you're, you're good at a job, you do your job and, and you should not expect weird fan rage. And the problem is, especially nowadays, with, um, let's be honest, as idiotic as social media can be. Yes. Um, people don't have the maturity to understand that. And it's No. And I don't feel like someone should have any, have to have any kind of inside view on it to, have, to be able to act like a person. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is like, you know, I mean a lot of these fans of all these movies. And some of these people, I feel, sometimes have a hard time separating fantasy from reality. And they actually, they t- sometimes they talk to the actors as if it really happened to them. And it's, bizarre. It, it, it is bizarre. It's very bizarre. Um, who was I just talking to um, recently? So, oh my goodness. Um, but somebody came up to an actor that I was, I was talking to. I can't remember who it was. And they were like, so how did it feel to get killed? Like, like it was just, it's, it's really awkward and very strange. So, and, and, you know, obviously social media gives everybody a platform to have an opinion and people take things that happen in movies. So personally, especially when it's part of a franchise, but everything's not always going to stay the same. Like things have got to change, you know, but they have a heart, you know, I find this massively in soap operas. A lot of soap stars will tell you that if they play a bad guy on the soaps, women will hit them with their purse as they're walking down the street because they take it so personally. So it's it's strange how how people relate to these movies. Well, hell, I mean, the sad thing is, look how many look how many any looks we find out there. Oh, my God, there's plenty. I assure you. Yeah. I mean, the fact that that's pretty much just Stephen King projecting a lot of his real-life fan interactions. I mean, he was so genius writing that. I mean, that – and the scary thing about it is it's it, – that could very well be your reality if you're a celebrity. Exactly. It's just bizarre. It's like it's – it's a moment where you're like, how is anything in your mind – like you think that anything that you're doing right now is okay. Although funny enough, um, one of the people who I ended up having a little nerd fan conversation with ended up uh, becoming a regular guest and actually a friend of mine afterwards. And that was Adam. <laughs> and that was Adam. Uh, Adam Beechin. Okay. He's written a lot of comics, but he also wrote for like Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated and a bunch of other stuff. And it was because he brought came on to the Cassandra Came Back Girl series. And they basically turned the character into a murderer and went against a lot of the, her character development. And then they just basically did it to end the series. Because wow. I think Dan DiDio didn't like the character. 
And yeah. so they basically just um, what do you, what do you call it when they uh, completely change a character to try to make people hate them? Um, you know the term of it. It's right on my head. You know the term on the tip of my tongue. But um, I don't know the term for it. I I know I know the 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 strategy behind it is so they the fans hate them so when they're gone you don't care. Yeah. Because I basically I asked him, dude, what do you what why did you do that to Cassandra Kane? And it was like it was mean. It was actually really rude on my end. So I'm surprised we actually had to have a conversation out of it. And that was my first real view of uh, you seeing exactly uh, what a comic company can do. It's like, oh, you're a new writer. Uh, you don't know anything about this character. All right, go make people hate this character. Yeah. Well, you know. It- Going when you when you bring up comic books, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, like I had a similar situation. So I was in a comic book store out here in L.A. and um, I don't really know too much about the people behind the comics, um, unless they're like iconic and I know their names. Um, But I was in a comic store, and the guy working at the comic shop was talking to me about we were talking about X Men. And I was telling him about, you know, my favorite character was Jean Grey, is Jean Grey. And he was like, no, he's like, maybe Jean Grey is the phoenix. And I'm like, no, Jean Grey's like, so we were getting into this big nerd debate. And, um, and we just, we were discussing like the fact that they brought Jean back as phoenix because they killed her off in the comics and they got a lot of hate for it. Um, and then this other fellow that was in the store decided to jump in the conversation and we were all just like going back and forth at each other with like the, the theories and everything else. And, um, why would they do this to a character and blah, 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 blah. And after that other fellow left the store, the guy at the comic store was like, you know who that was, right? I said, no, who was that? He goes, that was Jim Lee. I had no idea. crap. I had no idea, no clue whatsoever, but I had, it it, it was mind boggling to me, but yeah, I mean, see, I even get that way when it comes to my characters in the comic books. Cause like, if you kill off my character, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little angry. Like it's just what happens. So. And it's funny. We're talking about that because we look at, um, RoboCop, especially with, especially with RoboCop three. I mean, you and I were talking about this even before the show. And that is a perfect example. It's not. It's not a great movie. Um, I know there are other people like it. There are positive things about it, but um, and it was definitely not Orion's fault. It was real. The sad thing is, there's really nobody's fault on that movie. Yeah. Um, but the reaction, fan reaction to that movie. Yeah, there's a reason we mentioned that because first off, they had to make it PG-13 because you know you had to get the kids. Of course. Even though it was like advertised to kids initially. But then at the same time, it's like we re- all of a sudden we have Peter Weller being recast with um, uh, Robert John Burke. And Robert John Burke's a really great actor. Yes. But at the same time, it's that fan mentality. It's like, of course. wait a minute, where's my Peter Weller? And really the reason for it was as simple as if you were offered Naked Lunch with David Cronenberg or RoboCop 3, which one were you going to say yes to? I don't know which one would you say yes to. <laughs> I'm going to say yes to David Cronenberg. Yeah, probably. I'm with you. Um, yeah, 
people don't like change. That's the thing. And that's, and you can, it's funny, you know, I meet a lot of people in my life who are like, oh, I, I, I admire change and I look forward to it, but really we don't. We, we don't, we don't like change. We don't like changing things that we're comfortable with. And the fact that Peter Weller had been recast in the third and you'll know why for sure. When you see the documentary, I can't, I'm not going to say why you got to watch the documentary and find out. Um, but you know, it's people don't like change. So we, we take it out with these fictional characters that we have. And, you know, and you know, the Orion probably thought, you know, it's just a guy in a metal suit. Like no one's going to notice. Yeah, people notice. I do admire the fact that there was a, that he did have a flamethrower and there was a samurai robot. And, and he flew. Time. Right? Yeah. I mean, how do you not like that? Come on. <laughs> was... But I, the, the downfall for part three uh, for me was the death of Nancy Allen, for sure. I was going to mention that because I'm like, why? Like... To me, she was such – I thought – what Peter Weller was to young men, teenagers and boys and some girls was what Nancy was to young women. Like I thought like it, she was definitely a good um, role model for, for women and girls who wanted to be cops or whatever. And I felt like maybe it was a cheap way out. Honestly, I, I I think they knew if they killed her, people would be really upset. And that's actually the premise of the movie, sort of. So, um, you know, RoboCops is trying to get, you know, the, the murderers of, you know, and, but yeah, so I, I think that was the downfall for three for me, honestly. Yeah. It's just, it is, it is really interesting because I, because it really did seem like, even though people are mixed with RoboCop 2 nowadays, uh, RoboCop 2 did really well when it came out. It was because yeah. it was that it kind of, it made, while it didn't have the, the same style that Verhoeven brought to it, it still maintained that satire. And oddly enough, because as, as the, um, because the uncut, unrated version would not come, the X-rated version would not come out for a while, the original RoboCop, we didn't see that extreme satire as much in the first movie, so it was almost a shock to the system to see it more so in the second movie. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Verhoeven is, in my mind, and in my opinion, a cinematic genius. Um, and an amazing guy at that. Uh, he's wonderful. And he, you know, was responsible for my all-time favorite film, which is Showgirls. Um and he agrees too. Like, see, that's the thing he and I, he thinks Showgirls is the greatest thing he ever created, and I have to agree with him. So he and I have that love fest. But um, Verhoeven has a, a, a distinct style, as you were saying, and it's hard to. Um, I thought the second one was a bit more campier. Oh, definitely. Except for it, I mean, Scary Kid, who apparently we're supposed to be feel bad for at the end. Right. And, you know. Um, See, there's that too. And then, you know, and uh, rest in peace to uh, Galen George, who was one of the stars of part two um, and a client of mine as well. Um, I thought she was amazing in that film. She was wonderful. And she had this unique story um, about her family 
didn't when she got RoboCop, she really didn't tell her family about it. And it was probably one of the biggest highlights of her career. And um, her family um, being they they were uh, Muslims and they didn't, um, you know, they didn't approve um, of a lot of things, the way she dressed or the way she talked and what she did in the movie, it was not approved. So she didn't really tell her parents about this. I mean, for they didn't know about it for a long time until after RoboCop 2 came out. That's crazy. And that's yeah. how, and that's how you way to find out too, and you just see it uh, seeing it right there on the screen. But um Well the way the way the way she told me was is like she did Robocop and then once the movie was done, she was like, I'm not gonna tell my parents she goes, I or my family, I, I, I'm you know I told them that I was working and that's all they you know, that mattered to them was that she was working. Um, but she was like, I had to go find uh, the next thing that had to be super great. So that way it would take the focus off RoboCop. Um, but once, you know, once it came out and her family knew, like they, you know, they approved that, you know, she was doing what she loved and that's all that really mattered. Yeah. It's interesting going back and looking at it cause, um, what is it? You have Irving Kirshner as the director of the second movie. Yeah. And Irving Kirshner, like. Um, I mean, he was really much an icon of his own. I mean, he'd done Empire Strikes Back, and yeah, he had movies like uh, Never Say Never Again, but I think once you've done Empire, you know, that's that kind of movie, especially in, the, in terms of uh, film history. The sad thing is, of course, is that while George Lucas is great because of his attachment, uh, direct connect, attachment to the first Star Wars, the, all of that seems to kind of go back to him. It's kind of like what, what I call it, Nightmare Before Christmas Syndrome. Yeah. Uh, even though Henry Selleck directed the movie and uh, somebody else wrote the script, it's always going to end up going back to Tim Burton. If that Correct. Makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember someone got mad. They said, and I, they said, well, you, you worked on the production. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't write and direct it. And all of those things are important, especially things like production design. But the but um to attach to give someone all the all of that credit when there are other people. Who continue to work and do not aren't able to build up that name. That's I've always thought was kind of crazy and kind of cynical. Yeah, yeah. But um, looking at this, looking at everyone, they able to get together like Kurtwood Smith, Paul Verhoeven, like you mentioned, Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, um, uh, Ray Wise, Tom Noonan, Roddy Cox. This is crazy, man. This is it's insane. It really is. Afterward, you know, when we were see. I was going through like a, a life crisis when we were filming RoboCop. I was in during the production. I was in and out of the hospital with kidney stones. Yeah, I remember that. It was insane. Um, I literally was like on massive painkillers. <laughs> so because I I thought I was dying, I really did. Um, and uh, so you know I you know I didn't really think about how awesome this was until we were done and i was like oh my god we have interviewed these massive people ray wise can i tell you my one of my all-time favorite guys in this world who has become not only a close friend but is a client as well he is so amazing and he is such a brilliant actor like brilliant and he's done so much he's so iconic for so many things from Twin Peaks and Swamp Thing and RoboCop and, and everything, even, like I was gonna say, even he's one of those. He's also one of those actors who's managed 
when you have some when you have some actors kind of fall out a little bit. He never really did. He never did. That man yeah. has worked every day since the age of seventeen. Yeah, because even like you look at um, stuff like Good Night, Good Luck. You look at yes. Fargo. You look at uh, this, the the uh, Star like the Star Trek stuff that he's done. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't stopped, man. He's he's an animal. Ray has put it to me. He he literally has said he said one night over dinner it was me, him, and Cheryl Lee, and he goes, "I love what I do, and I will die in front of the camera." That's crazy. He literally said, he goes, if he goes, if something ever happened and I couldn't walk, he goes, then I will be playing uh, someone paralyzed. He goes, it doesn't matter. He said he will die in front of the camera. He has such love for the art. It's insane. It's I mean, there's no one more devoted than Ray Wise. Sorry, that kind of, you know, when you hear something like that, and you just can't even. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was an, it's intense. Like he, I mean, and his intensity when saying it was intense. And even Cheryl, who's known Ray for so long, she still is in awe of him, as I am every time. Like the man has got so many stories you wouldn't believe. Like it's like who lives a life like this? And I really want him to do a book. I really want him to write a book. I, I, I would I would read it immediately. I mean, yeah. heck, his work with uh, his work with Lynch on Twin Peaks alone that like that alone could definitely just become a top seller. That's a book itself, right there, just with the, his work with David Lynch, one hundred percent. Yeah, you know, and there's just so much to that man, and um, he's very honest and. He loves his fans. Um, you know, he, he likes to go out to the conventions and the Comic-Cons when he can. I've traveled the world with that man. He and I spent the most amazing week in New Zealand. It was incredible. And I couldn't have done it with anyone better. Like, it was the most fun I've ever had on a trip. And he was, I mean, he's just he's just wonderful. He's such an amazing guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a particular particular person that you're going to be having on the documentary and that's uh tom noonan because yeah that right there like that's that kind of that's that kind of actor where there's so much crossover like we were talking about with genre film cult films i mean you look at things like manhunter you look at things like house of the devil like yeah it's this insane career i i know you know you've talked to you talked to peter weller you talked to verhoeven somebody like noonan with that career that just spans like really just cult cinema in many ways. Like he's done mainstream work, but really as like genre fans, we know him for man. Yes. We don't, you know, we know him for this. Like, what was that like? That had to be something, that had to be something cool. It was great. Um, he was, he was very nice, uh, very accommodating, uh, very excited to talk about Robocop. Um, very um, strict about, his his work and he just i mean he he takes it all very like he oh god i i don't even know how to describe it. he he's a man with a plan i'll tell you that much and he basically told us he was like i'm only talking about robocop <laughs> because he's got such great stories from everything and 
he didn't find, you know, he felt it wouldn't be fair if we, you know, talked about other things as well. Um, but he has such a love for Robocop. And that did a lot for him. So that opened a lot of doors for him back then. And he's utterly grateful for everything that's happened. I mean, it's just hard to be in front of all these people and not be in awe. Like I, we put our work, you know, we put our work pants on just like everybody else and we keep it super professional, but there are moments when we all fanboyed out too. So you and I, you and I particularly are both fans like we're we're fans we're in a way we really are fans first and we're doing this and putting that effort in because we are fans like that's we right. love it so much and that's right you can i hate i hate to um bring this up i can't remember the name of it, but there was a there was a friday the 13th documentary that was released before yours his name was jason and it's one of the, it's one of those things i'm probably gonna put my own foot in my mouth but like when i watched it I'm like, there was so much meat that's not here. Well, his name was Jason was, uh, there there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen on that film. So when I did Never Sleep Again and Crystal Lake Memories and Scream, I did those with Dan Farrens and Tommy Hudson. And they both were a part of His Name Was Jason. His Name Was Jason was before me. So... um, there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, um, so let's just say there was probably a, a hundred directions that that thing could have taken, and that's the road that it took. Um, for me, I think it's fun to watch as, like, I feel like when I watch that, I'm watching VH1 pop-up videos. You know what I mean? Like, I love the 80s or something like that. You know, that's what I feel like I'm watching, because it, it's, it's, you know, there. It's it's very quick. It moves fast. Um, but, you know, for Friday the 13th, there's it's hard to, you know, again, and I will always go back to um, Never Sleep Again, because within those films, Freddy Krueger has that depth of a character and that backstory that is telling. And Jason in that matter doesn't re- I mean it's the same movie kind of rehashed over and over again you know as much as I love Friday the 13th um it's kind of rehashed so there's not that big depth of feeling there so when we did Crystal Lake Memories um you know it was more about the goal was to get the people that didn't interview for his name was Jason. And that's what we set out to do. Like, and it was great because we got more people from Jason X. We got more people from, uh, we got Jennifer cook from Friday the 13th part six, which was a, that was my get. So I'm very proud of that moment. Um, it was a big joke on the thing. Everyone's like, you're never going to find her. You're never going to get her. And I got her. And that was such a big moment for me. Like I felt like I won a golden globe at that point. That was that was a a big moment for me. I was very proud of that. But I mean, sorry, I, I was just gonna say the thing that really, I mean, when I first saw Crystal Lake Memories, like having, um, having Corey Feldman pop up as a narrator right at the beginning, I'm like, okay, so, I here's a funny thing. I didn't know it was by you guys when I first saw it, and then 
as I'm seeing that, and I and in terms of the structure and the attention to detail, I'm like, holy crap! I need to find out. I need to find out about this. And then I realized, oh, this is by this is by Mike. This is by all the of them. same. It's yeah. the same people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you know, there's a style. So even though um, I've only done uh, Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, and Scream with Dan and Tommy, um, there, there, you know, there's there's a style that we that it gets carried on. You know, um, and you can I I feel like our work is so definitive. Like we, when we say definitive, we mean it. Um, and, and that's from, you know, anywhere from getting all the cast members or finding all the never before seen back behind the scenes footage and photos or getting Corey Feldman to be the narrator and opening up uh, the show. So that's what we mean by definitive. And so you kind of, you, you can kind of see our style. So, by now, a lot of people have realized, you know, which ones we've done and which ones we haven't. Because I actually had someone um, ask me if I worked on um, In Search of Darkness. And I'm like, does that look like something I would do? No, it wasn't. It's not me at all. So, um, uh, as you can tell, I'm not a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, don't, yeah, I don't know I what mean, you mean, man. You're, you're always on your social media. You're always very subtle. If there's something in particular that you don't have a taste for. I try to be subtle, but sometimes there's no room for subtlety. So but, but Mike, that's why we love you. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're the best bear, man. Plus you're really good at hugs. I, I, I try, you know, I try, I, I try to deliver bad news with a hug and it always seems to work out better. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, there's definitely um, other there's a lot. There's competition out there when it comes to documentaries. Because when we started doing documentaries, when we did Never Sleep Again, there wasn't a whole lot of people out there doing documentaries on these films. Yeah. So you know, and it's like now, like so many people have jumped on the bandwagon, and it's just like now every week there's a new one coming out, and so there's a lot of competition, and we're competitive, and are we all friendly? No, we're not, but we we try to stay friendly, and we love everybody, but sometimes some less than others. And then you have, um, and it's kind of kind of cool how, like, because we look at, you know, back when you made Never Sleep Again, we look at what was coming out in terms of DVD, because we had Anger Bay, and you had Anger Bay. Yeah. And that was about it. That and was it. To really those premium movies. And then yep. of course, anchor Bay got bought by stars. They went to shit and William Lustig left and started blue underground and blue underground really was kind of, I wouldn't say it was the one that really blew up in terms of those high end, like the high end release that we see now, but it was kind of right. the groundwork for it. Cause you yeah, look at things like sure. arrow, you look at scream factory, uh, you look at uh, Severn films and it's like, it's Holy a big crap. thing. Now. Yeah, it's a big thing now. Like it's, you know, and you know, and I love it because I've gotten to do some of those uh, special features for Shout Factory, and um and whatnot. So, um, you know, I and I'm very thankful for it, and I, and I think these movies are, are they need to be put out because these are the movies that are. I mean, they they're gonna stick around forever. These are the movies that generations and generations and generations of people are gonna love. Um, so I'm actually very, you know, I, I, I love the fact that they're all getting re-released. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I know I'm I'm going to safely. I feel like I'm safely assuming that the Peter Weller interview is probably the toughest one to get to line up. Um, I mean that. I mean, I almost forgot how long this was actually in the making. Yeah, a long time. Uh, we've yeah. gotten a lot of we got a lot of crap from fans about it. Um, but you know what the thing is is like you know people need to you know understand like you know again we are fans ourselves making things that fans would like and we're putting a lot of time and effort into it and it's a lot of energy and you know the thing is is like a lot of my producing partners you know you know we all have other things we were doing like i'm working i work on music and i book at comic cons and i write books and i'm I'm doing all these other things and you know my my partners are they all have other things they're doing too so it's kind of like we have to try to find the balance and it can be hard and sometimes we run into roadblocks like we weren't very you know successful at you know at locking down that peter weller interview right away but um for the it's been in the works for a while but i'm i'm glad that we are now finally allowed to say that we got peter and it's almost everything's just about done like we are like two seconds from being done with RoboDoc. So it's ready and I can't wait for everyone to see it. It's it's gonna blow your it's gonna blow you right out of your shoes, dude. You I mean you're you're gonna it's I, the funny thing, I was at a screening um with Ray Wise. Um I feel like we were in Detroit. Um and uh it was for a Twin Peaks event, but uh we showed a clip before that we showed fire walk with me uh of robodoc and you could just hear everybody in the audience talking about it and ray was watching from behind and he was like oh my god he goes that looks better than the movie and he's super excited about it and super stoked um the fans that i heard right there that watched it like it it warmed my heart because Again, we've done what we've been doing, and that's giving the fans what the fans want. And sometimes it takes a little longer than usual. And also, you have to understand, yes, we are going on five years of RoboDoc, okay? But you have to take a year out of that because a lot of stuff couldn't get done because of the pandemic. So um, a lot of things we do when we do editing sessions, you know, people have to gather for that. There's a lot of us working together. So we couldn't do that. So you have to kind of minus. So I, I like to tell people it's been four years for RoboDoc because we kind of got chipped out of a year of that. So I had to verify a rumor that's been going around the internet. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So, Mike, it's actually been rumored and determined that you don't actually sleep, like, at all. No, I don't. Yeah, you actually live on um, on, ner- on Nerd Juice and uh, Caffeine. and. <laughs> That's basically that's that's basically it. That's what I've heard. Pretty much. No, dude, I I do sleep. Trust me. Um, but I don't feel I get enough of it. I I enjoy what I do so much, and it's my work is fun, and as it should be for anybody. I mean, if you don't enjoy what you do, then you sh- you probably should find something else. But I love what I do in every aspect, whether it's working on a book, whether it's recording a new song, whether it's singing backup, whether it's doing documentaries or booking comic cons or whatever it is that I'm doing, 
Um, I love it and I live on a natural high from it. So no, I don't sleep a lot because when I try to go to sleep, that's when I'm thinking of the next idea. So, and then I, I, I literally, I keep a pad of paper next to my bed because I will get these ideas and I write them down and then I look into it the next day. So that's just what I do. <laughs> so no, I don't really sleep. I don't sleep enough. And I know with that, of course, you, people, like like we are saying, you barely sleep. Uh, you pretty much have one project after another. And in fact, you've got like, what, one, two, three, four, what, four, four or five different, different projects coming out? I have five documentaries ready for release. I am filming currently two of them um, that are not yet finished. And then... I'm working on a new EP. I, I kind of fell out of music for a little while because I got so busy with everything else, but I finally got back into it again. And I'm going to be releasing a single um, here shortly. Um, it's I'm very excited about it. And uh, and then I'm working on a book, um, you know, and I can't quite say what the book is yet, um, but it's definitely massive pop culture. I'll say that. Very 90s. So nice. Yeah. And it's not horror. So it's not horror. It's actually not horror. So, and I think it'll do, I think the fans will really like it. See, here's the thing. My nerd brain wants to guess, but, uh, you'll never guess. guess. Um, well, unless you stalk my Facebook, that's the only way you're going to (laughs) know. Nah, now, right now I'm too, too busy for stalking. Stalking is very difficult. Actually, the sad thing is it's very easy on social media. I'd like to do it by accident. It's like, why, why don't I even know this crap about this person? I I cannot look them in the eye anymore after reading this. Not right. referring to Mike specifically, but... To anybody. People. Yeah, I mean, well, people are crazy. So yeah. people say the most random things, and you're kind of like, really? I'd have to say that's one of the one things I've definitely gotten to uh, realize over the last year and a half is like, you know... We don't always really know somebody, and I've seen a lot of true colors come out over the last year during uh, the pandemic, and and some people have very ugly personalities, um, and some people have grown closer, um, and so it, it's it's kind of it, we we are definitely living in a world divided. I'll tell you that much. So, see, like for me, that's why I just. Like last year, last year was a last year a year of basically just being trying to annoy, annoy all the right people. <laughs> um, but really, in, in this year, as things have gotten less crazy, I've basically just gone back to my habit of just sharing goofy nerd shit. Yeah, you know it. You know i I tried not to get too political during the 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 presidential election. You know, I really did. Um, some things would kind of like make me go bonkers and I'd have to share it. Then I usually end up deleting it because I, the last thing I want to see is are people fighting on, especially on my wall. I don't want to see people fighting on anyone's wall, but it, it kind of made me sad. Like it makes me sad that people can't have an opinion without getting torn apart. Um, so at that point, like I just started posting the things that I loved, um, you know, so whether that was horror, what movies I was watching, um, 
music, uh, it, it didn't matter. Like I just, I just had to post something else because I, I was getting tired of the ugliness and you can only call people ignorant and other things so many times. And, you know, and it's just it, that start, I think it affects people. Um, I think it affects people on both sides. Um, and it's just, it's not necessary. I think we should all be nice and go back to the seventies when it was peace and love. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right. There, I'm right there with you because clearly nothing, nothing controversial ever happened in the '70s. Yeah, I mean, I mean, bad stuff happened, of course, but it just seemed like people liked each other more back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Robo, with Robodoc, what is? Because I know there's been a lot of information out there. There's been a lot of time out there. Do we have an official? Do we have an official date that we're looking at in terms of release? What can you tell us? We will very shortly. Nice. And um, where can and where can people find uh, Robodoc on social media? Where can people find you if they're out there and they're like, you know what, I have not stopped enough people on social media today. Well, you know, you can find me on Facebook uh, under Mike Perez. I don't have one of those fancy like ways to find me, um, so it's just Mike Perez. So good luck trying to find me. Um, you can always follow my business page, um, Michael Perez slash Samantha Osborne Entertainment on Facebook. If you want to find me on Instagram, uh, look me up at, at Mikey's Dreamin'. Um, same thing with Twitter. And um, Robodoc's got a fan page. Um, Stephen King's It documentary has a fan page. Uh, everything's got a fan page. So yeah. you pretty much just type in the title and it'll pop up. So Nice. Um, and with that, with uh, Circuit42, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. And you can find this and other episodes on um, Spotify and iTunes. And with that, Mike, I wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. This has been absolutely fantastic. It's been way, way too long since we've talked. So this is a great opportunity. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And just have a great night, everyone. Thanks, guys.